Rabbi. As you can see, I'm at a wedding, but the show must go on. I don't have a chumash in front of me, so I'm going to say it uh, as best as I can uh, by heart. So we're starting a new parasha. It's parasha Shelah. We're studying this for the Fuashilema Hayasara Bat Simha. And the parasha is the great parasha of the spies. So let's just review what's happening over here. Moshe Rabbeinu uh, dispatches 12 spies, one spy from each uh, tribe, and they're going to go make an expedition to Israel and come back with a report. The expedition takes 40 days, and uh, amazing, I don't think it's a coincidence, uh, he dispatches the spies on the 20th day of Sivan. That's when they, that's when they left. Correct. 40 days later. Yeah, because 20 days later, 30 days later is, is the 20th of Tammuz and then Rosh Chodesh. So he, he sends the spies um, uh, for 40 days. They left on the beginning of the month of Tammuz, actually the 29th of Sivan. Now today's the 20th of Sivan, so next week, let's say. The 29th of Sivan, 40 days later, they returned on Tisha B'Av and they gave a bad report. And that's why we have Tisha B'Av, because everybody was crying. And God said, I told you the land is good. And you're crying? Now you're going to have a reason to cry. So Tisha B'Av turns out to become a, a day of national crying for the generations because we cried for no reason uh, when the spies came back. Now, I'll just tell you one idea. These men, when they left, they were great men. Now, how were they chosen? So it says that, and I think we learned this earlier on, that when Moshe Rabbeinu was running the nation, he was a one-man show. And his father-in-law came to him and said, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to burn the people out. You can't have one man running the whole, uh, the whole entire people. So you need, to get, you need to get help. So he gave him a system of management and middle management and lower management. If you remember the way we learned it, we said for every thousand people, which there's 600,000 people, so for every thousand people, you get a manager. You're a busy person. So now, for every... Yeah, another one. I'm using Joe Biden's phone. We got jokers here. I don't know. Huh? Okay, so anyway, listen to what happens. There was, there was, for every, there was 600,000 people. So Yitro said for every thousand people, appoint a judge. So 600,000 people for every thousand, that's 600 judges. And then he said for every hundred, appoint a, a, a judge. So that's 6,000 people. And then for every uh, 50 people, appoint a judge, that's 12,000 people. And for every 10 people, Appoint a judge, that's another 60,000 people. So it comes out altogether 78,600 judges, one for every thousand, one for every hundred, one for every 50, one for every 10. And the day before, Moshe Nehmen was doing the job alone. Now, these men that were chosen to spy out the land were from the men of 50, in charge of 50 people. So there were six, there was 12,000 of them. So uh, they're called Sareh Hamishim. And they, they were chosen for that, um, 
for, for, the, for that job. So again, for every for every thousand, there was one. So we said that that's 600. For every hundred, there was one, that's 6,000. And then you got, for every 50, there was, uh, like we said, uh, uh, 12,000. The point is, these were not the greatest people that were chosen. And amongst them was Yoshua Benun. So it shows you that Yoshua Benun was not the top guy of the people. He was from the middle managers. So the question then is, what zechut did Yoshua have to become the next leader if he really wasn't the number two man in ranking? His ranking was not number two. He was from the lower lower level. And the explanation they say is, is because he had the greatest desire to learn. And he had the greatest uh, uh, motivation and uh, yearning for the truth. And some say, rabbis teach us that it's more important to have the desire to learn than to have the uh, necessarily the talent. Because if somebody has a desire and a will, he'll succeed and go further more than more than anyone. And there's a, many stories told about some of the greatest rabbis of the generation that when they were young in yeshiva, they weren't so great, but they had a desire and they had a yearning and they had a, a motivation. And it turns out that they ended up becoming uh, great. There's a famous story told of a rabbi uh, called Rav Eisel Harif. He's a great, great rabbi, very, very brilliant. And he went to the yeshiva. And when he went to the yeshiva, he was looking for a son-in-law. In the old days, when they used to go to find the son-in-law, yeshiva. And how did they find the son-in-law? The rabbi would come and ask a question to the boys. And whoever can answer the question, that becomes the son-in-law, because he's the smartest guy in the yeshiva. So this rabbi Hadith went to the yeshiva, and he throws out a question. And for three days, the guys are trying to give answers, and nobody was able to come up with the answer. He said, okay, I guess I'm not going to pick a son-in-law from this place. Nobody gets the answer. So he leaves. On the way out, somebody's chasing him and says, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi. So he says, do you have the answer? He says, no, but what's the answer? He says, wow, you're going to be my son-in-law because you have a desire. Nobody cares what the answer is. They couldn't get the answer, so they moved on. You're the only one that's asking, okay, forget about your daughter. What's the answer to the question? I want to understand the truth. He says, you have such a thirst. And therefore, that's what makes you worthy. Yoshua might not have been the second in ranking to Moshe Rabbeinu because he had a desire. It says he never left the tent. He would sit by Moshe Rabbeinu's side from morning to night. And even when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Har Sinai, everybody went back home because they knew they had 40 days. Yoshua camped by the mountain and stayed there because he didn't want to miss a second from when Moshe Rabbeinu was going to come down. So Moshe Rabbeinu takes a, a tribe, one from each tribe. Now, it says these were Anashim. Anashim means they were Hashuvim, as she says. Hashuvim means they were important. They were, they were significant. They were the heads of B'nai Israel, like I told you. They were the Sareh Hamishim. They were from the heads of, of 50. And then it says, uh, he commissions them uh, to go and check out the land. Now, really Moshe Rabbeinu's intention was not that they should give an opinion if the land is good or not. We don't need that to give us an opinion. God said the land is good already. Their approach was supposed to be the strategy, how we should enter the land. They should have came back with advice exactly. Uh, they should have came in, uh, uh, come back with advice. We should go in from the south. We should go in from the north. <coughs> Military strategy. Instead, they came back with 
not advice, but an opinion. And their opinion was the land is uh, the land is not for us. And as a result, uh, Bnei Israel fell for their malignant report. And then she says a big lesson over here. The reason why the sin of the spies was so great, because in last week's parasha, we didn't get to this last week, so it's good we can get to it tonight. The end of last week's parasha, we read about Miriam. Miriam spoke about Moshe. What did Miriam say? Miriam said, why is Moshe separating from his wife? We're all prophets. Abraham and Sarah were prophets. They didn't separate. Isaac and Nufka were prophets. They didn't separate. Even Yaakov and his wife, he was married. Miriam was a prophetess. She didn't separate, nor did Aharon. So she felt that, why is Moshe doing something that the others did not do? Especially when a when you have a precedent, you're not supposed to break the precedent, especially if earlier Tzadikim did something. So why is Moshe think he's better than these other Tzadikim? That was Miriam's claim. So what happened? She came down with leprosy. And God said to Miriam, don't you know that Moshe Rabbeinu is different? Moshe Rabbeinu is special. He's not like any other prophet. He must be on call 24-7. And I told him, I, I blessed him when he separated from his wife because he has to be prepared to receive prophecy. How dare you compare your prophecy or the other prophets to Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu is, his prophecy is mouth to mouth. It's on, a, it's on a different level. He's like an angel. Does an angel have a wife? My man that he's writes that, that Moshe Rabbeinu was like an angel. And therefore, an angel doesn't have a wife. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu, he's not like every other prophet. Now, that's what happened in last week's parasha. And she got punished. She got so punished that the people were delayed for seven days. Because she had to wait until her leprosy or some say it wasn't a leprosy, some say she was just excommunicated until it was released. So a seven-day punishment, the people were delayed, all because why? Miriam spoke about Moshe. And now the spies, if you just learned what happens when you speak about the tzaddik, and now you go speak bad about Eris Yisrael, that's why the sin is so great. Because you just had a lesson to learn, and you didn't learn the lesson. Now I ask the simple question, what should they have learned? The reason why Miriam got punished is because Miriam spoke about Moshe. They were not speaking about Moshe. They were speaking about the land. But what's the connection between what Miriam did and they did? It's understood you can't speak about Moshe. But that doesn't mean you can't speak about the land. Why can't you speak Lashonara? Because you don't want to offend the person. I want to ask you a question. Does a land get offended? You can't speak about Lashonara about a person. But the spies, they spoke about the land. Why is that a, why is that a, a, a sin in, in, in itself? And the explanation is because Moshe Rabbeinu, even though Miriam spoke about him, it didn't affect him. So that tells us. For a little bit. So we could get you calm. I'm at a wedding and it's noisier in these people's houses. And I'm at a wedding. Do you believe it? <laughs> what are you playing no, with my phone? I'm for? saying I'm at a wedding and it's noisier on the thing than this. Well, oh. oh, that's the point. Now, how do, how do we do with them? I need technical help. I need technical help. How did you have to mute the people? 
Anyway, everybody mute, mute your phone. The lesson is, in conclusion, that Moshe Rabbeinu did not get offended. Moshe Rabbeinu, it says, was the most humble of all men that ever lived. When Miriam spoke about it, it made no effect on Moshe Rabbeinu. He wasn't slighted. He wasn't bothered by it. He didn't get uh, uh, any, God forbid, uh, uh, feel bad. So when you speak about Moshe, it's like you're speaking about an inanimate object. When you speak about a rock, a rock doesn't have any feelings. Moshe is like a rock. And still Miriam got punished. So they should have learned from there that it doesn't matter even if you speak about something that cannot hear or doesn't have feelings, it's still going to be forbidden. Just like it didn't bother Moshe, but she got punished. So therefore they should have learned you don't speak about the land, whether it can hear or not. What are you speaking about? Like it was mentioned, it's God's land. Why should you speak about it derogatorily at all? And therefore the sin is a sin in itself, but it's a compounded sin because you just could have learned the lesson and you didn't learn the lesson. That's a great lesson for all of us that but Olam holds us responsible if he gave you warning signs, if he gave you a signal and he gave you a chance to learn and you didn't learn from the event that happened and you committed the same sin, then God says, you don't have an excuse. You can't say you didn't know. You just experienced something that was a national event. And you come and you double down and you make the same sin again. So as I said in last week's talk, these parashiyot don't get any better. Unfortunately, the summer parashiyot all talk about the unraveling of B'nai Israel and the spies probably is going to be the greatest debacle that the B'nai Israel fell through. Ultimately, we're going to get punished. That whole generation is going to die in the desert. We're not going to go into Eretz Israel. Although if the spies didn't come back with a bad report, we would have been in Israel three days later. Imagine that three days later and a three-day journey turned out to be a 40-year sojourn in the desert with everybody dying and ultimately nobody going to Eretz except the children, including Moshe Rabbeinu. Anyway, that's enough to do without a homage, but I don't want to cancel the class. These classes of the tomorrow night be able to be back on uh, on tomorrow night will be on normal uh, normal footing again so we have over here now in Parashat Shelach let me study for refreshing my brother Uriel Ben Bloria also please thank you and we're learning for Hayas Sarabat Simcham we're learning Parashat Shelach yesterday we learned a little by heart now we'll go back to the Pesukim inside. God speaks to the people uh, and says, I speak to Moshe, and says, send men and let them take a expedition to tour or to spy out Eris Kenan. I will give the Bnei Yisrael Ish Echad, one man, one man, from every tribe to Shlachel, so that she says, and we learned this last night, but I'm just reading it inside now, why was the parasha of the spies written next to the story of Miriam? Because they didn't learn the lesson. She, she spoke about Moshe, and she got punished, and they should have taken Musar, and instead they just committed the same sin again, and they spoke on Eris Israel. Furthermore, Rashi uh, says that why should they have spoken bad about the land? God promised them 
that it's a good land. It's a land of flowing milk and honey. But the Yitzhak got the best of them, and they ended up uh, speaking um, speaking against. Then the next pasuk comes along and says, just catch up to that she's over here. Moshe, Moshe sent the spies from the uh, Midbar is the uh, the desert called the Paran Desert. Al uh, by the word of God, Kulam Anashim Israel Hema. And uh, although God was not happy that the spies were going, but He doesn't stop it. That means God lets the person use his free will, and He doesn't interfere. So when it says Al Hashem, it doesn't mean that God um, condoned it. He really would rather that they didn't send spies, but since they wanted to, so therefore he did not uh, did not stop them. And it says these men were actually before they were sent, they were kosher, but uh, somewhere on the uh, trip they went sour. And now it gives you the names. The Shabbat of Reuven was represented by a man called Shamua ben Zakur. And Sorry, God. These are all the names of the spies. And then it says, These are the names of the spies. And Moshe changed the name of Hoshea Noon, and he makes his name Yoshua. And we said that the Yud that he add to Yoshua's name puts a Yud K in front of his name. Yoshua, the first two letters are Yud here, which spells God's name Yah. And Moshe Rabinu prayed that Moshe prayed about Yoshua, Yah Yoshiacha. God should bring you salvation and save you from the plot of the Miragilim. Uh, so that's where we got until actually last night. So he sent them. He told them, enter through the south, and then you'll go uh, from there northbound. And the reason why they entered to the south is um, because that's the, the weakest part of Eris Israel. And that's um, when you're trying to sell somebody something, you show them the, the lower goods first, and then you bring out the the better good. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, going from the south, you'll see the, you know, the weaker parts of Eretz Israel, so to speak, and then you'll move northbound, and you'll start to see it. Uh, it gets better. So that was a, a sales pitch. So they will, they'll, they'll, they'll like the land. You will see with the land what it is. You will see the people that are living. Are they strong or are they weak? Are they? Uh, Minimal or are they plentiful? Now, Rashi comes along and says that there's certain lands that are conducive for growing strong people. And there's certain lands that grow weak people. There's certain lands that produce a lot of population. And there's certain lands that, that 
produce very little population. And he gave them a siman. He told them the way we'll know if they're strong or not, if they're living in open cities, then you know they're strong because they don't put a wall around their city. That means they trust their own might. But if they're living in walled cities, that means they're scared. That's why they have to fortify themselves behind walled cities. So Moshe Rabbeinu was giving them tips to know exactly if the enemy is weak or strong, depending on what type of cities they will be uh, living in. Again, open cities means they're strong. They don't need a wall to protect them. Walled cities means they are weak. And the pasuk continues, Maha'ares, and go look at the land. Is it a good land? Is it a fertile land? Or not? And look at the cities. So, uh, that she says, you'll look at the land and you'll notice if they have well springs, if they have uh, valleys, and all sorts of um, good terrain. And then it says in the Pasuk, look at the product of the land. Is it literally is it fat? Or is it lean? Is there a tree? You should strengthen yourself. Bring back from the fruits of the land. And the time of season that they went was Shavuot time. Is the time of the ripening of the fruits, which is exactly this time of year. So that she says, what does it mean, see if there's a tree? Of course there's trees. Every country has trees. So he says, no, see if there's a kosher tzaddik that's living there. Because if there's a kosher tzaddik who's like a tree, he's going to protect them. And therefore we're saying, see if they have any righteous people, because then we're going to have to you know, wait until they uh, are eliminated because the tzaddik protects the, uh, the place. And uh, it says they left at a time when the grapes were ripening, which is, like we said, right after Shavuot. And the pasuk goes on to say, so they went, they entered, they went up, and they spied out the land. They went on an expedition. They went from Midbarsin until Rehov de Bohamat. And uh, as she says, they followed the border. They went from uh, length uh, to width. Um, they went like, 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 a, like a letter L. They went straight up and then they went across. Um, they went to southern, the southern border, south, southern border, from uh, east to west on the southern uh, southern side, and then uh, like like Moshe Rabbeinu told them that they should enter from the south. Uh, so they went actually, you know, on the Mediterranean side. That's the um, no until until they got to the Mediterranean. The east is not the Mediterranean. The west is the Mediterranean, and then. Uh, they went the whole western border, uh, and then they got to the uh, northwestern border. So basically, like we said, they made a they made an L. And the Hebron. And it says he came to Hebron. Now over here, it's it's a problem. There was twelve spies, but it says he came to Hebron. Now it should say they came to Hebron. So that she says over here, Caleb himself went to the Maarat Machpelah to pray at the graves of the Avot because he did not want to get drawn after the plot of the spies. He saw that it was going in the wrong direction. 
So that's what the Pasuk says, he went to Hebron. So you see that the one of the only reasons why Caleb was able to overcome the plot of the spies is because he went to the Ma'arat HaMachpelah. If our members uh, remember a few weeks ago when we were in Israel, you got a, uh, uh, a view of the Ma'arat HaMachpelah on a Friday morning when we showed you the, uh, the cave of the fathers, the tomb of the patriarchs uh, and the, uh, the matriarchs. So therefore, when everybody, anybody needs something, a major item, it's an old tradition to go to graves of Sadiqim and Kalev went there and he um, actually, he was, uh, he was successful. And the Pasuk says, Vesham Achiman Anak, the giants, there was four giants that lived in Hebron. Their names were uh, Achiman, Sheshai, and uh, Talmai. Right? Vehebron, Sheba Shanim Nivneta, Lifnesuan Mitzrayim. So she explains that Hebron was seven times better a city than Soan in Mitzrayim. Now, Soan was known to be a very fertile city. And it's the best city in Egypt, Soan. And Hebron is the rockiest city in Israel. And still, the rockiest cities is more fertile than the most fertile cities of Egypt. So that's the Torah's coming to praise how great, how great the land is. So the, the, that's why the city of Hebron is used for burial, because it's really not good for planting. But still, it's coming to teach you the praise of Eretz Israel that um, as, as great as the city of Soan is in Mitzrayim and as weak the city Hebron in Eretz Israel, the, um, the city of Hebron is seven times better. You have a phone call, Okay, we continue. Now it says, they got to a place called Nahal Eshkol. And what did they do with Nahal Eshkol? They cut a twig from a vineyard, the Eshkol Anavim, and a cluster of grapes. One cluster. And the cluster of grapes was so big that they had to put it on a... Uh, on a stick, on a pole, Bishnayim. Now, we have to see, what does it mean, Bishnayim? Sounds like two people are carrying it, but it's actually not. As she says, they were carrying it on a stick. So obviously they, they is two. So what does it mean, Bishnayim? So it says there were two sticks. So actually they had two sticks, and they put the cluster of grapes in the middle, between the two sticks. You see the pictures of it exactly. And therefore... You had uh, eight people carrying one cluster of grapes. Even Uri doesn't have a cluster like that. That means you have a cluster of grapes. You know how big it is? They had to put it between two sticks, and you had eight people in the big in the one, two, three, four, four per stick. Well, actually, yeah, one, two, three, four. No, four per stick. Yeah, they had that four people per stick. And then it says it took one person to carry a fig and one person to carry a, uh, a pomegranate. That's how big the fruits were. So altogether it took 10 people to carry all these fruits. So, we're, so who's the only two spies that were not carrying the fruits? Yoshua and Caliph. 
because they knew that they were going to use these fruits to speak bad about the land. They were going to say, look at these fruits. They're nuclear fruits. Just like the fruits are giant, the people are giant. And therefore, they didn't want to be part of the Lashonara. So therefore, they didn't carry the fruits. It was only 10. Okay. Now, what I think it means, two sticks, it means like this. Two sticks this way and two sticks this way. That's four. Right, and that's eight. That's how it was eight. Wait, two, two four, six, eight. Two people on each side. Two people on each side of four sticks. When, when she says two, it means... Two pairs? Right, two pairs. Partners up. Because if you say it was two sticks like this, where's the eight? It's one, one. two. One, two, she, three, four. Are you saying in the middle? Yeah. No, unless you say, according to that, she was like this, one on one side and one on the other one side, and one on one side and one on the other side. So they're on both sides of the stick. That's there was a, was a wide stick. Very heavy. Very heavy. She's, it, was, it was like, uh, it was very heavy, like you said. Okay, that's that. All right, so now, so now that, that, that's what we're holding now. So now they're on the way back. They're coming with these big, gigantic fruits. And uh, tomorrow night, we're going to learn how when they finally come back with these fruits, how they're going to use it to speak uh, negative about the land. And we're going to see exactly how the people are going to believe the Lashonara, which they shouldn't have, and they're going to cry. And because of that event, uh, years later, we're still crying, unfortunately, on Shabbat. So it's a, again, it's a tragic, tragic story. But nonetheless, we got to read it. So stay tuned tomorrow night. We learn these classes for the Fuash Shalema of Okay, I'm going to continue uh, my way home. Thank you. Amen. And we are, let's just get the coordinates for tonight. We are in the middle of the story of the spies. And uh, we got to the point where they were holding the, uh, the cluster of grapes. It took eight people to carry one cluster of grapes. And they also held a fig and a pomegranate. And the Pasuk writes, we're going to start yeah, so it's in chapter 13 and we're going to start at Pasuk 26. So it says they went and they came to Moshe and Aharon and they got back home they were in the place of Midbar Paran and they told them what they saw and they showed them the, the fruits of the land and they told the story and they said we went to the land that you sent us. And it's a land of flowing milk and honey. Now, if their intention was to speak bad about Eris Israel, so why are they praising it? Why are they saying it's a flowing uh, land of flowing milk and honey? And now she learns over here that in order for a falsehood to be believed, you have to add a little truth to it. So that was part of the plan. They started off saying the truth. So people 
It'll give them, they give them credibility. They said, no, listen, they said the truth. They said that it's a flowing milk of honey, uh, but it also has these problems. So in order to give them credibility in their lies, they sprinkled in uh, some truth. And uh, they say that Ephes, um, Ephes means however, and that's where they're going to get into the trouble with this however. But, it's a uh, the people that dwell on this land are uh, powerful people. And and the cities are fortified and they're very large. And we also saw the offspring of the uh, of the giants. Not only that, but Amalek, arch enemy, Yoshev he is in the southern part of the land. And therefore, we had an encounter with Amalek already. If you remember when we came out of Mitzrayim, Amalek attacked us. They knew that if they're going to mention Amalek, the people are going to get scared. Because we knew already that Amalek was a, uh, a fearless army and uh, they attacked us and we had a bad experience with them. So they put the play on those fears. They say, oh, yeah, Amalek is there in the south, dangerous people. Vahitiv, Aibusin, all those other nations. Haimori, Yoshev Bahar, they're in the mountains. The Kenani and the Kenani people, Yoshev Malayam, they're by the water. And therefore, we're not going to be able to cross it. There's all these enemies over there. Furthermore, Pasuk says, Vayaz Kalev Now, when Kalev started to hear that the spies were starting to speak against Eris Israel, so he got their attention. Vayahas. Vayas means he silenced the uh, the people and he was able to get them quiet. And what did he say? El Moshe. So he opened his uh, comments, Kalev, uh, in a derogatory way speaking about Moshe, calling him the son of Amram. So when the people heard Kalev talk about Moshe that way, they thought that he's going to continue speaking negatively about the land. He said, you think that's the only thing Ben Amram did? So when they heard him call him Ben Amram, it's a disrespectful way, they thought that he was with the spies. So he came along and he said, um, is this the only thing that Ben Amram did, the son of Amram? But he was quiet because they thought that he's going to speak disparagingly. But then he said, he took us out of Mitzrayim. He split the sea. He brought us their spoils. He brought us the man. And instead of speaking against Moshe, he actually spoke the praises and the virtues of Moshe. So Kalev, he, he needed to get the attention of the people. But once he got the attention by tricking them into thinking that he's going to say something negative, he actually said something Positive, and then he says, "By Yomer, we will rise up." And it means, even if our destination, as she says, is in the heavens, we will make ladders and we will climb the ladders. That means nothing is impossible. When Olam is going to give us the Atanishmaya, we will inherit it. Because, because we. 
felt hopeless. So Caleb's giving them a pep talk and saying, no, we can do it. We can rise up to the land and we'll be able to, um, you know, overcome. People said, no, we can't go up into this country. It is stronger uh, than us. And that she says, amazingly, that they actually said, it's stronger than him. Meaning even God will have a hard time cleaning out this land, which was obviously very disrespectful because they said, it's almost even impossible for God to, to, to win this war. So they really went overboard with the statement. And they now spoke um, uh, this evil report, as they had spied it out. And they said, um, the land that we have uh, passed through, the spy, here we go. It's a land that eats its inhabitants. Now, what does that mean? That she says, wherever they went, there was burying dead bodies. There were mass funerals all over. Now, they took it as a sign that it's a dangerous place. It's a land that eats its inhabitants. But the truth is, God did them a favor. They were so preoccupied with burying their dead, nobody caught the spies. So they were able to sneak through the uh, the cities without being detected. You have to remember, in the times of Yeshua, Yeshua sent two spies and they got detected immediately. And here, Moshe sends 12 spies for 40 days and they went undetected. And because God did them a favor. All the uh, people of uh, Canaan, they started dying. So the people were so preoccupied and distracted with their burials, so they left these spies undetected. So actually it was a favor, but they didn't see the favor of it. They saw people dying, <clears throat> so they came back and he said to God, <clears throat> they said to the people, it's a land that eats its inhabitants. There's a, you know, there's a plague, there's a, there's a magifa in this place. Then they said, and all the people that we saw in this country, and Chemidot literally means they are men of measures. She says, Gedolim Ugbohim. They are uh, they're tall, they're very, very large and tall. And therefore, like a Goliath. It means these are the giants, these people. It's not normal. And all the people that we saw. And Shemidot, they are men of big stature. And we saw over there, in specific, the people that were called the Nephilim. Nephilim are the, the giants. I mean, these were people that actually were giants. And we were in their eyes like grasshoppers, which means they were so big, when they looked at us, we were like grasshoppers. And that's how we felt in front of them. So they're saying two things over here. They're saying that we were like grasshoppers in our eyes, and so we were in their eyes. So let's read this pasuk again. There's a big psych psych psychology here. We felt like grasshoppers in front of them. <laughs> 
And that's the way they perceived us. They saw us as grasshoppers as well. I guess they heard the uh, giants say, well, look at those grasshoppers over there. That's how big the giants were compared to the spies. So it says we felt like grasshoppers, and that's how they perceived us. And the psychologists learned a lesson over here, that the way you perceive yourself, that's the way others are going to perceive you. Because they felt like grasshoppers, so therefore they were perceived as such. Because if a person perceives himself as a loser, as somebody that's not competent, so they portray that negative image of themselves to others, and others will uh, feel it and also uh, convey back a similar, uh, similar, uh, similar feeling. So if a person exudes confidence, for example, so the people will respect him as a confident guy. So remember, they, they wanted, they wanted to scare B'nai Israel? We, what is that? They wanted to scare B'nai Israel? No. Nobody scared them? That's who lived in Israel at the time. They were trying to scare anybody. That, that was the inhabitants. So the spies, they tried to uh, uh, cause the people to rebel and not want to go to Israel. And the question you have to ask is, why? Why did they want to scare the people uh, into going to Eretz Israel? There's many, many different approaches of why the spies, you know, report. Why didn't they see the good? That's the question. Why didn't they see the, the good in Israel? How, how come they only saw the bad? And when we go to Israel, we love it. And here the spies went, and they, uh, they, they come after. And the Pasuk says, the people lifted their voices. They started to cry. On that, on that night. Now, um, she says, including the justices, including the Sanhedrin. This was, uh, you know, all in. All the people were crying. So one theory is why they gave a bad report is what the Zora Kadosh says. They were afraid to lose their jobs because all these men were uh, leaders, they were presidents of the, of the tribes. And they understood that when they go into Eretz Israel, they're going to have re-elections. And therefore, they didn't want to lose the, uh, they didn't want to lose the election. So what they do? It's like the Democrats. So they rigged it. And they came along and uh, they gave a bad report. Now we're not going to go into Israel. Good. That means we'll remain, in, we'll, we'll remain in power. That's one of the uh, motivations that they had to speak bad. It was a, uh, it was to keep the power, to keep, to keep their positions. Okay, I mean, that's uh, that's what the Zora Kadosh said. So we cannot discount that opinion. I saw another opinion, which is a little more maybe favorable, uh, that they knew that if they were going to Eretz Israel, uh, that Moshe wasn't coming with them. So therefore. They didn't want Israel without Moshe. So therefore, they wanted to stay back. And therefore, this was a whole plan just to uh, remain in the Midbar with their rabbi. Okay, so that's a different spin. That makes them, you know, more... Uh, they felt, you know, we'll stay in the Eretz Israel. We'll be with Moshe. And, uh, you know, he won't die. Because they knew already from last week that... That was last week's parasha. They got that prophecy. No, they're not taking us in. Nobody's going. So therefore, their intention maybe was 
was was a little better, but nonetheless, it was a sin. And the pasuk says, al Moshe al They complained. They complained the people to Moshe and Aaron. Kol said all the people alehem, and they said, Kol lumatnu lumatnu. We were better off of dying. We wish we would have died in Mitzrayim uh, or in the Midbar. Lama otanu Why is God bringing us to this land? Then Paul Bahirif to fall by the sword. Our children and our wives are going to be uh, taken uh, as uh, captives. Uh, we're better off going back to Mitzrayim. They said to each other, let's go back. Back to Mitzrayim. And the pasuk concludes, Moshe and Aaron fell on their faces. And uh, now the pasuk says, "Yoshua ben Nun and Caleb, those were the two spies that felt the land was good. They ripped their clothes because they realized this is like the terrible, terrible tragedy. The land that we went to uh, spy out, they said that the land actually is not only good, but it's very good. But it was too late. The uh, 10 spies were able to stir up the people enough into a frenzy to get them all, uh, you know, sad and, and depressed. And uh, even Caleb and Yoshua were not able to talk them out of it. Okay, it's another night of learning. Uh, the story of the spies, we continue. So we're at... We're at Perek Yud Dalid, and we're at Pasuk Chet, and we're learning for the Fuashlema Hayasala. So let's just review where we're coming. The spies were sent, there were 12 spies. They came back and they gave a malignant report about Eretz Israel. They said that there's giants and that uh, they're too strong and uh, we're not going to be able to overcome them. And the people uh, started to cry. Uh, Kalev, who was one of the, <clears throat> the spies that came back with a good report, he said, no, we'll be able to uh, overcome them. Hashem is with us, but it was too late. Uh, it was Kalev and Yoshua that came back with a good report, but the 10 spies got the people in a frenzy. And the people were very, very um, uh, bewildered. And it says that um, at this point, Kadeb and Yoshua are trying to convince the people that it'll be okay. So we start from the Pesukim. Hafez Banu, Hashem, if Hashem desires us, Hashem will bring us to the land. Untana Lanu Eres. <clears throat> God will bring us to the land of flowing milk and honey. They said, don't rebel against God. Don't be afraid from the people of the land. They're our bread. What does it mean they're our bread? So that she says, we'll eat them like bread. Then... 
So that she says something beautiful over here. Their uh, their protection has departed from them. What does it mean? Their protection has departed from them. So that she says that there was one Sadiq that was living in Eris Kenan at the time, and he was a, he was a righteous man. His name was Iov. Now, Iov was a man that was a very, very wealthy man. He had uh, many children. He had a good life. And then the wheel of fortune turned on this man, Iov. And Bermanan, it's a terrible story. He lost all his children. He lost all his money. And he got sick. Boils all over his body. This is a case where a man went from riches to rags. The wheel of fortune turned. He was on top and he went all the way to the bottom. And uh, even through all his troubles, Eov never questioned God. Eov is the one that said, God give, God takes. May the name of Hashem be blessed. Adonai Natan, Adonai Lakah. He believed that whatever he got was from Hashem and Hashem took it from him and Hashem knows what he's doing and he had tremendous emunah Eov. Anyway, Eov was living in Eris Kenan. He was a goy. He was living in Eris Kenan at the time. So as long as Eov was alive, he was a tzaddik. It would be very difficult for the Jewish people to conquer Eris Yisrael. Even if there's one Sadiq, it would be very difficult. So Caleb and Yeshua said, Eov died. Tzad Silam, their protection is no more. And therefore, uh, Hashem Itanu, Hashem is with us. Al You see over here the value of a Sadiq. That even if there's one Sadiq that Sadiq can protect, that's why. God forbid, if a tzaddik passes away, it's very, very dangerous. Because when we have a tzaddik, the tzaddik protects us. Maybe Bode Olam has mercy on the entire world because he doesn't want to bring trouble to the tzaddik. So he, he protects the world for the tzaddik. So here, they were saying, Eov passed away. Once Eov passed away, the, um, the protection of that city is, is gone and therefore uh, we have no uh, we have no problem I want to tell you something I said a few years ago uh, if you remember we had one of our great rabbis he was a great rabbi, great tzaddik tremendous, tremendous tamid hacham and he left the city of Aleppo of Halab and he came to America. But it was something amazing. You see that when Achem Yom Tov died, that year, the city of Aleppo became into turmoil. The city became turned upside down and the civil war broke out in Syria and they started bombing the city of Aleppo. You never heard of them bombing the city of Aleppo. And at the Shloshim uh, in Sharet Sion, or maybe it was at the year, <clears throat> they asked me to speak in his honor, which was a big zikhut. And I said this pasuk, Sar Silam Once Aleppo lost 
the final tzaddik, the last of the tzaddikim, which was Rabbi Yedid, that's it, the city wasn't protected anymore. Even though he was in America, but everybody knows this is the chief rabbi of Halab. As long as he was alive, the city of Aleppo had a beracha. Once he passed away, a war broke out and the city started shelled by rockets and by uh, all sorts of bombs, which never happened before. So you see over here that we don't understand the value of having Sadiqim living with us. When, when uh, Yaakov Abinu uh, was running away from Esav, so the Pasuk says, but yet say Yaakov, Yaakov had to run away. So that she comes along and says, when the tzaddik leaves the, the city, it makes an impression. Uh, and we know that to be true. There was a great rabbi called Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, and he lived in the east side, New York, Manhattan, the east side. And one day, uh, there was a boy crossing the street in Manhattan on the east side, and a car came and hit him. And he was on the floor. And the kippah of the boy flew from one side of the street to the other. So when the people saw the kippah, they said, oh boy, a Jewish boy got hit by a car and the ambulances came and he looked like he was critical. So they ran to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein and they told him, a Jewish boy just got hit by a car across the street. He said, it can't be. They said, what do you mean it can't be? He said, it can't be. I'm studying Torah. I'm protecting the whole, the whole neighborhood. They said, but Rabbi, we saw the kippah. He said, go check again. It turned out it wasn't a Jewish boy. There was two people walking, and the Jewish boy got out of the way the last minute, and his kippah went flying. But it was a non-Jewish boy that got hit. And Rabbi Shafai said, I told you. He said, I told you that it's impossible. When, it's, when somebody's learning Torah in the neighborhood, the Torah brings protection. <clears throat> so that's what Kaleb and, 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 uh, and Yeshua were saying. As long as Eov was alive, it would be very hard to overcome Eretz Israel. Could you believe it? Even though we're coming with Moshe, even though we're coming with Yeshua, even though we're coming with a lot of tzaddikim, but one tzaddik can protect the whole neighborhood. So they said, Sar silam The protection is uh, departed from them. Bashim itanu al tiraum. was not Jewish? Correct. According to this opinion, Eov was not Jewish. But he was wow. still Now, I have to be honest with you. There's a big market in the Gemara in which Eov lived. We're learning today, according to Rashi, in this speech, that Eov lived in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu and he lived in Eris Canaan and he was the, uh, we'll call him the last of the righteous men. But once he uh, departed, there was nothing to worry about. Now, after they made that speech to the people, what was the reaction of the people? The people should have said, you know something? Caleb is right. Yeshua is right. Let's go. We're going to succeed. But that's not what they said. They said, we're going to stone them. Let's stone Yeshua and Caleb. They wanted to kill them. The glory of God came down 
at that moment, Anoyen Moed, El Kol Bnei Yisrael. And now, God is going to send a message to Bnei Yisrael. Now, if if the Jewish people would have said at that moment, we accept Caleb's and Yeshua's report, we're not accepting the Lashon Ara of the Ten Spies, then everybody would have lived happily ever after. But that's not what happened. They said, these two, they don't know what they're talking about. We have to stone them to death. So now the Pasuk of Ayom and Hashem and Moshe, very sad Pesukim, until how long, until what point are these Jewish people going to anger me? And how long is it going to be that these people are not going to have faith in me? All the miracles that I performed, which means uh, I did all these miracles to show them that I'm capable. And they still don't think that I'm capable. If I was able to destroy and bring down the Egyptians, you don't think I could bring down Canaan? Didn't I prove myself to them? <clears throat> then God says, This is a story where God said, I will destroy all of them. But <clears throat> means in a plague, God was telling Moshe, I will destroy all of Bnei Israel in one second. And I will make you a new nation. Could you understand how angry Hashem was? What Olam says, I want a divorce from the people. Now, he can't really divorce us because he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov <clears throat> that their children or their descendants are going to go into Eretz Israel. So God said, no problem. Moshe, you're a descendant from Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. I'll destroy them and I'll start a new nation from you. Now, what is Moshe going to say at this moment? <clears throat> Moshe Rabbeinu says, the Egyptians are going to hear that you took us out of Mitzrayim and you were able to bring us to the Midbar. And then what are the Egyptians going to say? The next person. They're going to say, Everybody saw your glory and the cloud of glory and the pillar of clouds during the day you had a cloud to guide them and at night you had a cloud of fire and then you're going to kill everybody? And what are the people going to say? The goyim. The goyim are going to say, God did not have the ability and he couldn't accomplish 
what he promised them, and therefore he had to slaughter them in the Midbar. What was Moshe Rabbeinu saying? God, the people are guilty. It's true. The people are complaining. They don't have emunah, but it's going to make a chilul Hashem if you kill them. Because what are the goyim going to say? The goyim are going to say that God could not deliver the people into the promised land. Yes, God was able to kill the Egyptians, but that's as much as he was able to do. God does not have the ability. So what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying was, don't do it for us. Do it for your name. Like we say in the Halel, Lolanu Adonai Lolanu. In Halil, we say, don't do it for us. We don't deserve it. Do it for your name. Because if you do not do a, a salvation for us, the Goyim are going to come along and say that God does not have the ability. Rabbi, it's almost like Hatsinai, no? What do you mean? Moshe prayed for them. Yes. Over here, he didn't pray for them, but he told them on the other side that that Hashem's his name is not going to be correct. Because let me explain to you deeper. Mitzrayim was one nation. Now in Israel or Canaan, as they call it, there was thirty-one different that the Jewish people would have to fight in Eris Canaan. So it was a big. Our homework in front of us. 31 kings we would have to destroy. So if God would not take us into Eris and kill us in the Midbar, what would the Goyim say? Yeah, God was able to bring down one nation, but he's not able to bring down 31. Oh, nice. Down the whole world if he wants to. Like we saw what he did in Corona. In one second, he shut down the whole world. That's what we learned from uh, the, the Magifa that we just had. That if Bori Olam wants to shut the world down in one day, the day before Corona, the world was functioning normally. Overnight, everything obviously closed down, and everybody went into uh, quarantine, and everything, everything was locked down. So the Goyim, in those days, they would have said, yeah, God was able to destroy the Egyptians. He was able to take down one nation. But he can't go after 31. And therefore, why? Because they're too strong, because they're Hazag. And therefore, Paro, okay, Paro is only one. And God, how you, how, even if you don't care about the people, you should worry about your name. And therefore, since God could not take them into the promised land, he slaughtered them in the Midbar. So, what did, uh, what did God answer Moshe Rabbeinu? The pasuk comes along and says, "Ve'ata na Moshe is talking. Yigdal na kawah Hashem. Let the strength of God become manifest. Kashid dibata lemor, as you said. And now Moshe Rabbeinu prays, Hashem erech apayim. Ve'av chesed, God, you are patient." Was slow to anger, but I've chesed you have an abundance of kindness. No se avon, 
you forgive sins, and uh, willful sins, which means sins that are done on purpose, and you erase, and you allow the people who make sins to repent, please God, forgive God, you are very merciful, and therefore forgive the sins of the people. Just like you carried the people till now, carry them until this point. Now, before we read the next pasuk, let's just catch up in some of the Rashis over here. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu said in Pasuk um, in Pasuk Yud Zayin, I'm going back. Now I want to read Rashi. Yigdal na koah Hashem. God, let your holy name have strength. Kashid dibarta, like you said. What does it mean like you said? So Rashi says, Umawa dibur. What is this referring to? Hashem erech One of the Midot, the characteristic of God is he's slow to anger. He doesn't get angry so fast. What he has patience. He has patience for the Sadiqim, of course, and even for the Rishaim. When Moshe Rabbeinu went up to receive the Torah in heaven, he saw that God himself was writing. And what was God writing? Hashem erechapai. He was writing. God is slow to anger. Amar lo. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to God, "La tzadikim." Yeah, God doesn't get angry at the tzadikim so fast because they're tzadikim. Amar lo, Kadosh Baruch Hu, after the shaim. No, Moshe, I am slow to anger even to the shaim. To the tzadikim, of course, he's slow to anger because they're tzadikim. But God says. Even the people who make sins, I don't punish them right away. I give them a chance to make teshuvah. Moshe couldn't understand it. Amar lo, Moshe Rabbeinu says to God, Rishayim yovedu. Why don't you just get rid of the Rishayim? Amar lo, Kadosh Baruch Hu, Hayecha. God says, I swear, Shetisarech ledavar. One day you're going to need this midah. One day the Jewish people are going to be the Sha'im. And then you're going to understand why it's to your benefit for me to be patient even with the Rishayim. What happened? Like one of our members just mentioned the sin of the Egil correctly. When the Jewish people sinned at the Golden Calf and then they sinned again with the Meragilim, what did Moshe Rabbeinu say? Wait, God, when I was in heaven, you told me, I saw you writing that you're slow to anger. Not to the tzaddikim. You're slow to anger even to the Rishayim. But you told me the tzaddikim. You said I should only be slow to anger to the tzaddikim. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, But you answered me back after the Rishayim, even to the wicked. And therefore, God fulfill your word. Just like when you're in heaven. And you told me that you have mercy on the Rishayim, meaning you're slow to anger. 
Therefore, keep your word. And therefore, give the people some time. Because according to what you told me, which is an unbelievable musab, that Borei Olam does not punish the Rasha on the day that he makes a sin. He doesn't even punish him the next day. Why not? Borei Olam can get rid of the Rasha'im in a second. That's not what God wants. God does not want to just kill the Rasha'im. He knows that people have Yetzirah. He knows that people have tests. Borei Olam's goal is to give the Rasha a chance to make the Shuvah and Borei Olam will forgive him. Like we say in the Tefillah of Ne'ilah on Yom Kippur, God says, I do not want the one that's dead, which is the Rasha, because he's considered like he's dead, because he lived a, a purposeless life. God says, I want him to make Teshuvah so he can live. So now Moshe Rabbeinu says, God, you were right. I didn't understand what it means when you tell me you have patience for the Sha'im. So God says, now you understand? Now you understand if I would not have patience for the Sha'im, I would destroy the people right away. That was the prayer that Moshe Rabbeinu said. What does God answer? Vayomer Hashem salachti. I forgive. Why do I forgive? What does it mean? According to your words. What does it mean according to your words? Because you prayed and you said that you're worried about the Hilul Hashem, that's the reason why I'm going to forgive them. Not because they deserve it. They deserve to be killed. But if I'm going to kill them, it's going to create a Hilul Hashem amongst the Goyim. And the Goyim are going to say, oh, the next day in the newspaper is going to say, the God of the Jews is powerless. The God of the Jews cannot execute. The God of the Jews cannot bring the people into the promised land. So therefore God says, because of what you said, however, means made a he made a uh, a swear. Hayani means a, a, a shibu'ah. V'yimaleh kibod Hashem et kol ha'aris. Literally it means let the glory of Hashem fill the entire world. And what does it mean over here? So that she comes along and says Lo yithalel shemi b'magifah hazot. I don't want the my name to be desecrated through a plague, the more that the people are going to say that God could not bring the people into Israel, that he lacks the ability. I'm not going to kill them suddenly. Which that God wanted to do that. God wanted to kill 600,000 people in one second. So he says, I'm going to keep the glory of my name throughout the land. So I'm not going to kill them suddenly, but they're going to die over the next 40 years, which was a terrible decree, which means over the next 40 years, every year, 15,000 people would die. 
And in the course of 40 years, 15,000 times 40, 600,000 people would eventually die. So Bore Olam, instead of doing second, he did it over, over the course of time. So it was, wasn't such a Hilul Hashem because the people still continue to, to live. But then he says, All those people that left Egypt and they saw all the miracles that I did and the miracles I did in the Midbar with the man, they tested me 10 times. And the rabbis learned, like we learned the other night, the Jewish people in the Midbar committed 10 sins. Now he tells us what the sins were. Two of them was by the sea. When the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, they complained by the by the Yamsuf. They wanted to go back to Mitzrayim. They also complained two different sins by the man. God said, don't go out on Shabbat and collect. And the people went out to collect nonetheless. And they, we learned last week they complained about the meat. Like it says in Masich and Elchim, all the different sins that the Jews committed. God promised they will not see the land. That I promised to their fathers. All those that angered me, they are not going to see the land. Except for two people. The Abdi Kalev, my servant Kalev, Ekev, because I thought he had a different spirit, which means Kalev had a different opinion than the spies. All the spies came along and said, we don't want to go to Israel. So they're all going to die. And all the people that accepted the Lashon Ara, they're going to die as well. The only one that left Egypt that's going to go into Israel is going to be Kalev. Why? Because he followed me. He will go into the land and his children are going to uh, uh, inherit the land. And says, <clears throat> God gave Kalev one of the most beautiful, holy silly cities. What city did Kalev get? Kalev ben Yifune becomes the inheritor of the city of Hebron. Hebron is the city of the Ma'arat al-Makhbila. Because he went to pray by the Ma'arat al that he should succeed. So God rewarded him and gave him as a uh, Sakhar, the city of Hebron. And the last part, and the Amalek people and the Kenani people were dwelling in the valley. Now, what is this referring to over here? So that she says, it's too late. You cannot go into the land of Israel. Because if you go into the land of Israel, I'm going to send the Amalek people to kill you. As she says, If you will go there, 
I'm not with you. That means it's too late. Even if you change your mind and say, God, we made a mistake. We want to go to Israel. It's too late. If you're going to go in, I promise you Amalek will kill you. Mahal penu. And now God, you must make a new turn. Instead of going towards Eretz Israel, we have to make a U-turn in the Midbar, and now it would take f- uh, a trip that should have taken three days. Now it would end up taking 40 years. I mean, it has to be one of the most tragic couple of Pesukim that we're probably going to read in the entire Sefer Torah. We were almost, if we would have went to Israel, Moshe Rabbeinu would have built the Beit HaMikdash, Mashiach would have came, that's it. It would have been. Wait, what way. happened to what happened uh, to Teshuvah? Why didn't uh, uh, so, I mean, that's what this that's whole. That's after Teshuvah. Uh. This, this is after Teshuvah. The people that make Teshuvah, if Moshe didn't pray, he would have destroyed them. Break. That's it. This, 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 the, the, the prayer of Moshe, at least stopped the punishment from happening immediately. Teshuvah doesn't mean. Uh, 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 the person uh, uh, doesn't get uh, 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 a ramification. There's a ramification. And this this was such a big avon that Olam, instead of destroying them immediately, now think about it. They got another 40 years to learn with Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a big zechut for the people. They can learn Torah with Moshe Rabbeinu for 40 years. Even though they should have died on the spot. But Olam is But it was such a grave sin that there had to be a um, a ramification. And therefore, God said, even if you're going to go forward, you will not succeed. Amalek is going to get you. And therefore, go the other way. Penu means make a U-turn. So, you know, some nights we get good good, good reading, some nights we get unfortunate uh, Sad reading. Tonight is probably the saddest reading that we've had since we started this project. Uh, this is a uh, a game changer. But as Hashem, uh, tomorrow night, we'll continue to see exactly. Um, it doesn't get better, I'm sorry to tell you. We're going to read tomorrow night the continuation of God's rebuke to, most, to the people and to see exactly uh, the uh, the consequences. So, the reason why this parasha is one of the saddest parashiyot. Anyway, whether it's a sad parasha or a happy parasha, it should be the Torah. It is the Torah itself. Every pasuk. Thursday night. Let's see how far we can get. So we have Parashat uh, Shelah. We're learning for the Fuashinama Hayasara Batsimha. And we're up to Perek uh, 14, Pasuk number 26. So God speaks to Moshe and Aharon, saying, Ad Matai La Eda Hazot. Until when? How long? Is this um, evil assembly uh, going to complain? That are complaining. This is referring to the uh, Meragelim. 
And it's interesting, this is where the Yamara learns that a minyan is made of 10 people. Because it says that edara'a, uh, bad group. Now, how many of the spies were bad? 10. And therefore, it calls the 10 in Eda. So Eda is like a minyan. So that's how they learn that uh, you need 10 people for uh, things of uh, Kedushan nature. And he says, Asher alai, not that they're complaining, but they're causing others to complain. When the Meragelim caused the Jewish people uh, to complain against God. I heard the complaints uh, that the Bnei uh, Israel are complaining. And therefore God said, Emor alehem, speak to them. Hayani neum Hashem. He swore. Imlo ka'ashem dibartem be'oznai kach yaseh lachem. You don't want to go to Israel? No problem. It's exactly what you said is going to happen. You want to stay in the Midbar? That's what's going to happen. And then he says, Ba'midbar azeh yipelu pigdechem. In this Midbar, in this desert, you will, uh, your carcasses are going to fall. V'chol pekudechem, lechom esparchem, for all the uh, counted ones, beben asim shana v'amala, asher halinotem alai. So anybody that was over 20, automatically there was a death sentence between them. The people between 20 and, uh, and 60. So uh, it says, any, any, any Jews that are uh, suitable for the count. So remember, we know when they count in Israel with the Hemp Shekel, it's between the ages of 20 and 60. <clears throat> so, therefore, uh, all those Jews that already were at least 20 years old, they were going to die in the Midbar. Rabbi, so the 15,000 15, yes, that did was not die, they were the 20, 0 to 20? Yeah, the 15,000 that died every year, those were from right. the, you know, exactly. But, but the last the last 15,000 didn't die. Correct. That was the chesed Hashem did, and he spared the last uh, the last 15,000. That's correct, and we'll see that. Im atem tavo'u ela'aris ashen nasati et yadi l'shaken etchem ba, you are not going to come into the land, ki im kalem ben yefoneh v'yoshua ben nun. So only the two spies. Kaleb ben Yefune and Yoshua ben Nun. V'tapechem asher amartem labaziyeh ve'veti otam the children. However, will go into the land. Your children. And uh, it says that u'figrechem atem yipelu b'midbar azeh. But uh, you people, your carcasses will um, will fall. In the uh, in the midbar, and then it says, "Ubnechem yudorim b'midbar arba'im shana," and you're going to be in the wilderness for forty years. So Rashi says, "Lo metehad mehem pachot meben shishim." So it says, "For forty years." Let's read Rashi again. "Lo metehad mehem." No one of those. Doomed to die in the in the in the midbar, 
פחות מבין 60 שנה, less than 60 years old, לכך נגזר 40. כדי שאותם של בני 20 מגיעים לכלל 60. Right, the reason why I was 40 years, because anybody that was 20 will reach the age of 60. So nobody died before the age of 60 in the Midbar. That was the minimum age you could die. So therefore God tells me 40 years, so the... Um, So the, the, the youngest one, which is 20, at least will make it to 60. Kedishu otam shum b'nei esriim magiim l'chlal shishim. V'shanari shunai tam b'chlal. And the first year that they were in the wilderness was included in the 40. Now even though the spies happened in the second year, God did them a favor and started counting the 40 years from the previous year. So that's what you said, that there was one, the last year they didn't die. Because God pre, uh, predated it. Why would God create, pre predate it? Because when they did the golden calf, which was in the first year, already God had considered this punishment for the golden calf. But he had, he had patience until they filled up and committed the sin of the spies. So then he said, I'm backdating it from the time of the Egel, and therefore we're counting the 40 years uh, from there. And um, Once they got to the 60th year of their lives, metu otam shel esrim. So those that were 20 years old at the time of the decree died. Okay, so now we know that it was the 60-year-olds that died uh, every year. Memesala yamim asher tartem et ha'ales al-ba'im yom, yom la'shana, yom la'shana. So it took them 40 days to spy out the land. So God says you're going to be punished Yom uh, Lashana. One day is going to be one year. So 40 days turns into 40 years. Tisuit Avonotachem, you're going to carry a sin Arbaim Shana, Vidatem et Tenuati. And you shall know uh, what does it mean to part from me. Bnei Israel remove their hearts from God. And therefore now you'll understand what does it mean to punishment. Ani Hashem, God says, I am God. Dibarti, I have spoken. That's it. It's over. Im lo zot e'aseh lechol ha'edah la'azot, if I shall not do this to the entire people, ha'no'adim ala that are complaining, that came against me, the generation will, um, will cease to be. And what's going to happen? V'sham yamutu. And they're going to die in the Midbar. So now, they just got this death sentence. So what was the reaction of the people? Regarding the people that Moshe sent to spy out the land, So they, they, they didn't stop. They went and they spoke. Spoke bad about the land. Again, even after even after they got this punishment. So those people that spoke bad, they're going to die immediately. The ones that brought the uh, bad report. So that's what the Pasuk says over here. Uh, so the spies who spoke bad 
they didn't, God did not wait for them. They died immediately. There was a plague. Now, anybody know how they died? It's a crazy, crazy death. Now, she says that their tongues stretched out. Their tongues just started to come out of their mouths, and it went all the way to their belly buttons. That's a big tongue. And then, I hope everybody had dinner. Yeah, and dessert. And worms started coming out of their tongue. And uh, and then the worms crawled from their tongues into their belly buttons, as we call it. So that was the plague. And that makes COVID look like a walk in the park. They, they had uh, this, the tongue again coming down to their stomach, and the worms coming out, and then entering their stomach, and then they were uh, dying. And what's the reason why they had this over here? I guess it's a measure for measure, because they sinned with their tongue to speak bad. So God brought worms coming out of their uh, tongues. Question is, what is the... Uh, what does the belly button have to do with it? Unless they say because uh, uh, it is considered the center of the world. So just like the navel is the center of the mind. Therefore, they spoke with their tongues about the center of the world, of the universe, which is Israel. So therefore, they got a midah, connected midah. Now it says, Moshe so Moshe Rabbeinu relayed the message to B'nai Israel. Okay, too late. Now they started to mourn. The people started to mourn. They woke up in the morning. They ascended to the mountain. They mourned. Now they changed their mind. They said, we're in. We want to climb the mountain or we're going. But it's going to be uh, it's going to be too late. Now they change their mind. Okay, we're going to go to Israel. So Pasuk says, Moshe, God said, "Do not go." Why are you transgressing the word of God? The not It's not going to succeed. Al ta'alu, do not go up. God is not with you. Otherwise, you're going to get smitten and plagued uh, in front of your enemies. And Moshe Rabbeinu warned them that uh, you're not going to succeed. And they thought that uh, now they'll be able to make the Shuvah. So Pasuk says, Ki sham The Amalek people are waiting for you, and the Kenani people are waiting. Unfaltem. <laughs> You're going to fall by the sword. You turned away from God. God is not going to be with you. This is going to happen because you turned away from God. Anyway, the Pasuk says, means uh, they, um, they were strong. They, 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 they were stubborn. They still were Adam. These are, these are people that are going to call them the Ma'pilim. That's what we call them, the Ma'pilim. The ones that were adamant to go into Eris Israel, even after God said, 
they're not going. If they went on the Rosh Ahad, the Aron Bilit Hashem, Umoshe, Lo Mashu Mekirim Mahanem. Now, normally when we would travel, we would travel with the Ark. Well, the Ark didn't travel because Moshe Rabbeinu was against what they were doing. So the Ark didn't travel and Moshe didn't travel. And now, more bad news. And the Amalek people came down from the mountain, and the Kenani people, and they attacked all those Jews, and they attacked them uh, until they annihilated them. Horma means it was total annihilation. And she says, They ended up naming the place Horma. Because Hormah means annihilation. Because all the Jews were annihilated uh, as a result as a result of that. So that's basically the story. We have three punishments here. We have the punishment of the Jews that accepted the Lashon Allah. So they died over 40 years. We have a punishment of the spies themselves that their tongues came out and went into their navels and the bugs came out. And then we have the sin of the Ma'pilim. Those zealots that said no, we're going to go to Israel regardless, and they climbed up the mountain, and then uh, as a result, what ended up happening was they um, they died. They got killed by uh, Amalek. All right, that's uh, as far as we can get. We finished the chapter. We had a good week. We ask uh, all our members to continue having in your prayers, and we wish Amen. all of a Shabbat Shalom Amen.